there is a website that has our Passover paper posted on it. I checked it to be sure, and if yes, it's indeed uh, the paper I wrote. No doubt about it. And uh, I find that interesting and and uh, hopeful in, in some respects, not that it really means anything perhaps. There aren't many in the Church of God who are going to accept the Passover as we have come to understand it. But some apparently have agreed with it. <clears throat> I think I know the individual who's probably behind that, someone I've known most of my life and had contact with him, oh, a few years ago, uh, back and forth a few times. And he understands where we are and to some degree what we believe, and I'm sure he doesn't agree with all of it. But apparently he's agreed with that if he's the individual I'm thinking of. And uh, I just found it interesting to note that that somebody, somewhere, <laughs> agreed. Aren't too many. Last, uh, last time I spoke, I got into a series that I wanted to go into the history of Jerusalem and a lot of the things of where it was and how it came to be and uh, just bring forward through that. However, uh, this has to do somewhat with the subject. I want to sort of put a hiatus on that for at least this week and cover something that has to do with our modern times. And I think that the series on Jerusalem beginning where I'm beginning, uh, really in Genesis and moving forward, will ultimately come to where I want to go today. But I felt that this is very timely information that we might should consider. Uh, it may be that it would be motivating, uh, could be inspiring, can be hopeful. Uh, I don't know that I can say with all certainty that what I'm about to present is... Uh, completely accurate. Uh, it is somewhat speculative, I'm sure, and let's say that ahead of time, uh, but some things to consider. Now, the world is looking at, uh, through uh, David Kahn, the guy that wrote the book on uh, the uh, Shemitah, the seven-year release cycle, and on the Twin Towers thing, uh, Protestant preachers have picked up on the blood moons and have decided, apparently, that the rapture will occur uh, this fall, very possibly, and that Christ would return, and then the world will come to pieces. Now, is that accurate? I think we understand that the there is no secret rapture, as they like to call it. Christ is coming back for his saints, however, and it is a deception of that that the rapture really is. But 2015 uh, seems to be at the center of this debate and controversy and information that has been presented, and it has to do with the Jubilee cycle because it has to do with the years of release. Uh, and perhaps tying in with Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 as well, the chapters on blessings and cursings, 
And let's examine it today in terms of our nation, Ephraim, where we are and what is about to happen, and see if the events of the Bible could lay out in such a fashion as to allow 2015 to be the year of the destruction of America. Let's say 2015 and on to the winter perhaps of 2016, but this period beginning in the fall of 2015, as so many are prognosticating. Now, I've been watching the news pretty carefully, and not only mainstream media, but mostly uh, on the alternative or Internet media. And there are many, many things that are coming together here in September and October of this year that some are saying mean the end of this nation, such as the Pope speaking in, I think it's September 15th or 17th or whatever the date is, to the American Congress, and they're saying that he is going to push the climate problem as what's causing the problems we have in the world today and introduce possibly a super-religion. The Bible calls it that. Uh, in some respects, the beast and the false prophet are going to arise. The false prophet being, along with the beast, worshipped by the whole world. So it has to be a hybrid religion of some kind that can be accepted by all religions on earth. has to be pretty dramatic and has to be something they can all accept. The Pope has recently made overtures to Islam, and they say that this religion will have to do basically with Mother Gaia, uh, worship of the earth, which probably is acceptable to most peoples on the earth as a, a basis, at least, for the beginning of their religion, uh, because we all like the earth and we like living on it, and so on. So that is a possibility that he may be involved to some degree. Uh, we're already seeing difficulties in the financial, global financial world. The Chinese stock market has dropped 30% in recent weeks, and it would be dropping like a rock even yet, except they put $150 billion into it to keep it propped up and they made rules that you can't trade right now under most circumstances. So they basically just shut it down, uh, in part to keep it from continuing to crash. And the United States is probably in the worst condition of any nation on earth in terms of overall debt. We far transcend anybody else. However, the immediate problem with many economies around the world is that they can't print money willy-nilly like we can, being the currency reserve of the world. So their economies are currently in worse shape in terms of living conditions than ours. And they are going backward faster at the moment than we are. Somebody made a comment the other day in an article I was reading that things will appear good until they don't in this country. It'll just go on like everything's fine, and I think the Bible shows that. It'll look good, and then it will crash, according to Zephaniah 1 and other scriptures. Or like Isaiah says, a wall that will lean out and then fall. 
It can lean, it can lean, it can lean. You can see it, you can watch it, lean, lean, lean. And then it reaches a point where, boom, immediately. So, look at Venezuela. It's basically every man for himself down there now. The stores, the supply of food, basically are empty. And people are rioting, they're looking for food, conditions are getting dire in Venezuela. In spite of all the oil they've been able to sell over the last decades, and those things, commodities are going down, all the metals, all the oil, the various things that run the world e economy. Why are they going down? Because there's less demand. China, uh, their industry is way off. Ours is off. Europe is in dire trouble. And as a result, there are not as many nat uh, natural resources being shipped for manufacturing as there were. So we're in a period of what they call deflation, when prices are going down. And yet at the same time, it's a combination of deflation and inflation where natural resources and those kinds of things are going down, and yet the food in the stores and various other things are going up in price. So you have deflation and inflation occurring at the same time. <clears throat> there are many, many things that indicate that uh, the middle of September, October through there, could be a crucial time for the world economy. I read a list the other day of, I don't know, 15 or 16 things somebody mentioned were coming together about this time of year, this year, that looked like serious trouble. I mean, another one that comes to mind immediately is at this moment we have troops and war material being scattered all around this country. We've never seen that in my lifetime. Uh, expecting trouble here. So this Jade Helm 15 thing is a run-up to something, and it is an excuse to be putting uh, troops and war materiel uh, all across the country, not just in the seven states that were designated. So these are things you can check out, you can find are happening. Why are they doing it now? Are they going to leave those troops and that war material there for years and years before they do anything? I doubt it. Why do you move things into place if you're not intending to use them pretty quickly? So let's examine some things about this nation of Israel, which I truly believe is Ephraim, but it also has to do, of course, with the other nations of Israel and the Jews, the tribe of Judah. I mentioned Roanoke sometime back as a possibility of a time when God began a count on this country. Recall that when Israel went down into Mitzrayim at uh, the time of the famine, and there were 70 souls that went in with Jacob, his sons, and wives, and daughters, and so on, went down into Mitzrayim where Joseph was and had things set up so that they could be taken care of. And it was 430 years to the day that they went out of Mitzrayim. 430 years. Now, their history while there was they went in as free people, right? 
Jacob on his own decided to go down into Mitzrayim, where his son was, and be taken care of because there was a severe drought going on. And they were received there by Pharaoh and the Egyptian populace uh, in a very warm, friendly, hospitable way. Then over a period of time, that began to change. Remember, they were given the best land in Goshen. Uh, they were the herders of animals and so on, and were blessed in the land of Mitzrayim until they began to increase in numbers, and the Mitzrayimites said, hey, wait a minute, these people could get to be more than we are and more powerful, and they might take us captive. So they began to go from, at that point, a soft captivity, and over a period of time, it got harder and harder. And then, just prior to their release, they had what you would have to call a yoke of iron. They were being beaten, they were still making bricks, but they had no straw to make the bricks and still had to keep the tally up to where it should be. So it had become a very, very excruciating bondage, very extreme conditions. Now in 1585, a colony was established in Roanoke, which became Virginia later. And it's a, a, a bit of a strange situation that the history is a little shadowy on. But Sir Walter Raleigh was given a uh, charter by the uh, government of England, by the Queen, I think it was, to establish a colony in what they called the New World. It was the Old World, as you and I understand, but they thought it was the New World at that point. So in 1585, he brought a shipload or several shiploads of colonists over and established a colony on Roanoke Island. Now, he left, or he didn't come, he sent ships with, with somebody else. So there's history that says Sir Walter Raleigh never even came to North America. He went down to the Orinoco River in South America a couple of times. But then there's another story that says he picked up colonists here and took them back to England. So, it depends on which history you want to read, whether he was here or not. But he did send someone else over with the colonists. Well, they weren't able to get back right away uh, to bring supplies. But when they did finally come a year later in 1586, the colonists were discouraged and frustrated, apparently. And the ship that came over, or ships, uh, apparently picked them up. It doesn't say whether it took all of them or not. It just says the colonists were picked up and taken back to England, but the man in charge of the armada left some of his men there to maintain the place until they could get back. So it does not appear that at that point there was no one here, that the colony was still here, just that those who had been sent went back and others left in their place. Well, then in 1587, they brought more colonists over and discovered or set them in place, and then because of weather and political maneuverings and the Spanish War and so on, they were not able to get back until 1590, at which time they 
discovered that the colony was empty. They had been instructed that if they would, were under siege or thought they were going to be killed, to put a Maltese cross on a tree. Well, there was not one there. But they had put a word on a tree, uh, cro- Croatoan or something like that. I can't quite remember. Croatoan, I think it was. Or Croatan, however you would say it. And then on another tree, the CRO, but they didn't finish it. But their things were gone. And it's wondered if, it's always been a mystery since, if they perished or melded with the Indians. But what brought this back to my mind was last night I was reading an article on Google News by National Geographic where they've been excavating in areas where the Croatoans uh, were and they found a man's gold ring with uh, English markings on it. And of course, the speculation is there. Did they kill the man and the Indians take the ring? Or did the man himself live there and keep his ring on his own finger uh, during that time? They're still not absolutely sure. But those who came in 1607 said that among the Indians, they sometimes saw blonde-haired, blue-eyed people that apparently those people had mixed with the Indians to some degree, and they saw some gray-eyed. So they have a pretty good feeling that those colonists did blend in with the Indian tribes and did survive, and that that colony then could be called a permanent colony in America. Now, I find that quite interesting because they were first left there August 17th, 1585, is the date given. This is August 8th, uh, the 17th is only nine days away. Now, what does that mean? I don't know at this point. But if you do consider a permanent colony in 1585, which there's a good possibility there was, if you count 430 years, you come to 2015. If you count to August 17th, that's exactly 430 years from the time that colony was established. Now, will these be exact dates? I don't know. But I find it very interesting that when that colony was established, and perhaps didn't really do anything but was there to mark a date, In 1607, when the next permanent colony that we can recognize was established at Plymouth, those people who came over were seeking religious freedom from the British government. And here they found freedom. They were able to keep the holy days. They were able to keep the Sabbath. Christmas and Easter were outlawed. So they attained a certain freedom of religion from the very beginnings of Israel returning to this land where they had been gone from and had been been left desolate for many generations, and we may get to that too as well, Uh, not today, but at another time. And they started out, therefore, being free. Then over a period of time, they began to be taxed more and more and started a revolution against Britain, declared independence, and became free from Britain. 
Now, shortly after that, they began to have a short, or I mean a, not short, a, a soft captivity is the word I'm looking for. Washington, D.C. was founded, and it was founded upon Roman and Greek architectural principles. It was founded and laid out in a Masonic fashion. We're all familiar with that. And a Greek, Babylonian, Roman mixture of government was established, which they call a republic. We call democracy today, which is a misnomer, really, because the people don't rule and never have. But a republic, at least. But that began a soft captivity with a Babylonian government from Washington, D.C. And over a period of time, those people who did that founding, and they had to be Masons, they had to be Satanists, they had to be a lot of things that we don't recognize them as in order to build Washington, D.C. as they built it. It's laid out that way. So they knew some things that we did not know until recently. Some of those early leaders, like George Washington, were Masons and were part of other secret societies. So even though this country was founded allegedly on the principles of freedom, of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of all the things that we say we have, uh, they began to slowly take those away. And even Thomas Jefferson and Ben Franklin and George Washington and some of those made severe warnings back then that if we allowed the government to grow, get too big and onerous, that we would become captives to it. Over a period of time, we have seen that happen. And the soft yoke tyranny from the feds is turning very quickly now into an iron yoke. We are rated the 40-something least, or as far as freedoms in countries are concerned, we're ranked in the 40s now. Forty-some nations have more freedoms than Americans do. And we are also the nation with the 51st longest longevity of all nations on earth. Fifty nations, their people live longer than we do. So there are a lot of things that are adding up to fit Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 of the blessings and cursings. So very much like Israel going into Mitzrayim, Israel coming into this land started out with freedom, and those freedoms have been slowly encroached upon until they are now being squeezed off, and we are facing very shortly now civil war, ruler against ruler, as the Scriptures say, our own government selling us out, committing treason against us, as Jeremiah 50 says they will do. We have Russian and Chinese and Australian and Canadian troops in our country right now doing military drills. They are bringing in Islamics and anybody that wants to through our southern used-to-be border by the millions. California now is over, it has a majority now of Mexican nationals and Mexican people. 
or Latins. That just happened a few weeks ago. So we are being set up to be absolutely destroyed, and I don't have to quote a lot of Internet stuff to show you that. Ezekiel 5 is good. Hosea is good about Ephraim and what will happen to Ephraim. Third go into captivity there in Ezekiel 5. A third die by the sword. And a third die of famine and pestilence until there's less than 10% left. The globalists, by the way, do intend to reduce the population of the earth by about 90%. And God says Israel will be reduced by a little over 90%. So when I read stuff on the internet about the world and about Israel and about Ephraim, ourselves, uh, I compare it with Scripture to see what God says, because that's really all that matters. But much of what you see in the alternative media today dovetails perfectly with what God said would be happening to our nation at this time. It's undeniable when you look into it. Now, uh, was it Jonathan or David? Jonathan Kahn, isn't it? Or David Kahn? I forget now, the one that wrote the, the 911 thing and, and the Shemitah book. Goes back and shows uh, the Jubilee years. Now, I went into the subject of the Jubilee year some years ago, and with the best information we could find at the time, including Ezekiel, it seemed to indicate that 2027 would be the Jubilee year. Now, I've not changed my view on that yet, uh, although we have to look at events and see if that is true or not true. And uh, Khan and others have indicated that that may not be correct, that 2023 might be the Jubilee year based on the projections of what's happening and has been happening in our country in these last years. So I want to look at that from the standpoint of what if the Jubilee is 23, and if Christ has to come back before that, what about the events we've talked about in the past that have to occur before Christ returns? If you move it up four years to 2023 for the Jubilee, can you fit in everything that must happen that the Bible indicates between now and that time? This is 2015. That's only eight years away. Not very long. Some of us are not so old that we might not live that long. Especially if God renews us like we've seen scriptures to indicate. Let's go back <clears throat> to... Well, let me discuss for a moment the so-called blood moons. Those occur when there's an eclipse and the moon can appear red, and it happens fairly frequently. But they've looked at it and seen that it is very infrequent that you have a set of four of those coming on about the same time as the spring holy days, Passover, and Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. So, 2015 is the center of this presentation that they've made, that the world will start coming to an end in 2015, in the fall, 
and this is again August 8th. <clears throat> so if they're right, we don't have far or long to find out if they're right, okay? And do these blood moons mean anything really to you and me? Or would they mean something maybe to Israel if they are indeed valid? I don't mean Israel in the Middle East. I mean the peoples of Israel, primarily this country, which is scheduled to go down first. When World War III begins, the USA will go away first. The world has learned in the last century that you need to take care of America and get rid of it if you intend to try for world rule. America has to go away. They've learned a little from history. <coughs> now, there were a set of blood moons in 1949 and 50. And again, in 2014-2015. I'll <coughs> wrap up this fall. Isaiah 7 is very interesting in this light, in that, and we have looked at it several times to try to understand because Isaiah 7 is uh, about a conspiracy that was made originally between Ephraim and Syria against Judah. I won't go through all the details of it. We've been there several times. But that was what was laid out. And it says here that... They weren't to worry about that because within 65 years, Ephraim would be destroyed that it be not a people. He goes on to show another sign in verse 8. He goes down and God says to Ahaz, and Ahab said, no, I don't want to do that. In verse 14, the eternal himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. He would be old enough, certainly, to be eating butter and honey for that to be fulfilled. Uh, for before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you abhor shall be forsaken of both her kings, her leaders. Now, we can speculate on how long it is before a child knows to refuse good and evil. They shouldn't do when they're very young, two, three, four, five years of age. Uh, you know, you can begin to teach them pretty early not to touch a stove and this and that and the other thing that they need to know. Uh, a moral code, an understanding uh, of what really is good and evil and the uh, age and maturity level required to refuse good on their own without the parent refusing it for them, or choosing good without the parent helping them choose good. I don't know what that age is. It's, it's, you might begin to say three or four, as I've speculated in the past. It might be a little older before they themselves begin to learn truly to refuse evil and to do good. But we learned about Emmanuel as a name for Christ. I think it was in 2006 or so, somewhere right in there. And began using that. <clears throat> well, if the prophet were to, prophetess were to conceive and have a child, maybe by the end of 2007, let's extrapolate that to today. <coughs> when a child was born, 
then and he'd be about, what, eight today or something like that. And that's certainly getting in the range, maybe on the outside of it, I don't know, uh, depending on how you look at it and what God had in mind. I don't know what he was meaning. But it has to be fairly soon, I would think. Because <clears throat> when they get to teenage, they learn to refuse good and take in evil. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But uh, those tumultuous years are somewhere right there ahead of when they're children as such. In any case, <clears throat> the land or nation of Israel in the Middle East was formed in 1948. And they had a tetrad or a blood moon, four of them, in 1949 and 50. So, uh, Mr. Khan uh, said that that was very close to the time that they were organized as a nation and that it might have some significance. Then you have the Tetrad again in 19, or 2014 and 2015. That's 65 years from 1950 where the Tetrad ended in that last series. Does America begin to go down? Does our fall occur based upon those Tetrads as a possibility of the 65 years being counted from 1950? I've looked at those years right in this time frame, but in 1950, uh, Truman authorized the building of the hydrogen bomb which was really the beginning of mankind being able to destroy himself from off the face of the earth. And it happened within Ephraim, uh, which is today the hammer of the whole earth and the nation most likely or most capable of starting something that would destroy mankind from the face of the earth. So uh, Ephraim, in that sense, is certainly a threat to world peace, our own nation through, primarily, the Babylonian government that we have in Washington, D.C. 1950 also was a year that Russia and China uh, signed a mutual uh, protection agreement, defense agreement. You see, now, Russia and China becoming very strong allies behind the scenes, and both of them have very good reasons to wish America to go away. <clears throat> so there are some factors back there that could have some meaning. Uh, and then you have, of course, the blood moons from 1949-50 and occurring again here in 2014 and 15. Now, there was a conspiracy in Isaiah 7, again, between Ephraim and Syria to destroy Judah. Now, let's look at the world scene today. And we have Ephraim, America, who has just created and works through ISIS, through the CIA and other operatives. We have been supporting Al-Qaeda for a long time as well, behind the scenes. These things you can check out and learn. I'm not going to go into all the detail about it. But there have been admissions that we are behind ISIS. In other words, there is a treaty, a conspiracy, an agreement between Ephraim 
and at least some part of the Arabs, including a lot of Syrians and other Arabs. Syria could be, in Scripture, could mean other peoples as well that are Arabic or of Ishmael. So there is that going on, and part of the reason is to destroy Syria. Now, the United States, two or three years ago, time goes by so fast, was going to mount an attack and take Assad out in Syria and subjugate Syria like we had intended to subjugate Iraq. That was thwarted by the Arab Spring and all that happened at that particular time and left the globalists, I think, somewhat frustrated that Syria was not destroyed. Now, in the meantime, America has had a very close relationship with the nation of Israel in the Middle East now for many, many, many decades since it started, and have been very friendly toward them. We have given them forward aid over and over. We have protected them militarily. We have been very close with them, and their Edomite Zionist movement in our government has pretty well run the American government as well. We know from Obadiah and other scriptures that Esau, Edom, would be a very great part of what destroys Israel in the end time. They've hated Jacob ever since Esau and Jacob had their tiff over the birthright. And God says in the end time, they will be a very important part of the destruction of Israel. So they have infiltrated our government in Washington and the Rothschilds and all, many of the powers that be behind the scenes are indeed, it appears, Edomites. So the, much of the banker cartel around the earth has Zionist Edomite background. And I think we already know that the Ashkenazi Jews uh, are probably Edomites, not true Jews. Sephardic Jews may be truly of Judah, of Israel, but uh, the Khazars converted to Judaism way back oh, in the north of Turkey, back when was it, 12 or 1300, uh, somewhere in there. And they say they are Jews, but they are not. They are indeed Edomites. Now, there's intermarriage and everything back and forth, but I'm saying as a general rule. And the majority of those in the nation of Israel today are Ashkenazi Jews or probably Edomite in background although there are Jews there. Now, with all this friendliness we've had, and with Zionism and the little nation of Israel pretty well setting a lot of American policy over the years, that has changed. Now, our present administration despises Israel and have been working against them, working toward Iran, working toward other Islamic nations in the Middle East. We've just worked out a ridiculous uh, nuclear deal with Iran, and now we're going to send them billions of dollars in aid. <laughs> it's just ludicrous, the things that are happening. So, the current Washington administration is friendly toward the Islamics, and they have turned against Israel. Obama and Netanyahu go back and forth all the time, and you can see the bad blood there between them. <coughs> so do we indeed have Ephraim 
allied with ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and others for the destruction of Israel, or of Judah, the nation we call Judah over there. It appears that this conspiracy of Isaiah 7 is indeed a prophecy, and that the world situation right now, today, appears to be fulfilling what Isaiah 7 says. Now, if that is indeed true, and these tetrards, or these blood moons, the last two occurring this year in the fall, uh, actually occur, and this means something, then Ephraim would fall this year. This nation would go down this year, if that be true. Because Isaiah clearly says that within 65 years from the start date, Ephraim would be destroyed. So if the blood moons mean anything, and the way that they happened to fall, or were designed to fall, then that would be the case. It's a little scary to consider. We have been safe, we thought, and secure, we thought, for a long time in this nation. But that is fast deteriorating, and God says that he is going to destroy us. So it's very possible that this event is going to be coming on us very quickly now. We have to consider that. We have to be prepared and aware, and we certainly need to be as close to God as we can, if indeed it is about to occur. Because Revelation 18 shows a financial collapse and a military takeover in a very short period of time. It says one hour, it says one day. It doesn't mean in 24 hours or in 60 minutes. In prophecy, that means a very short period of time. A day, a day can be as a thousand years in prophecy. Uh, a day can be as a year in prophecy. But one hour cuts it back even more so. So it will be, it will happen when it happens very, very quickly. And as Isaiah or Jeremiah said, it'll fall like a wall. And Zephaniah 1 calls it a crash. Revelation shows not only a financial crash, but a military takeover very quickly thereafter. We see these things happening. We see the preparations being made in this nation if we don't have our head in our armpit or somewhere and aren't watching what's going on. So the signs that Christ mentioned in Matthew 24 are all around us. Earthquakes, volcanoes, wars and rumors of wars, and so on. So we know the time is drawing near, and it may be very, very near. Now, Khan uh, does go into Leviticus 26, which we've been in, Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, many times over the years. But <coughs> here God tells Israel that if they will obey him, they will be blessed in many, many, many ways. Everything will be good. And when Israel first began to establish this country, things were good. We've been very, very prosperous. We have natural resources like no one else has. It's been a good ride up until it isn't. 
And now we have droughts and we have floods and we have political trouble. We have racial tensions and trouble. We have our leaders beginning to fight among themselves, which Jeremiah says, will, or no, it's Isaiah says, ruler against ruler, and then in another year, war in the land, ruler against ruler. So civil war is slated to happen, and we're beginning to see our rulers calling each other by names that you didn't hear them use 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. They used a certain amount of dignity and gentlemanliness in their relationships, but that's changing now. It's changed a lot in the last year or two or three. And they're getting ruder and cruder as they go. So these things are about to occur. Leviticus 26, uh, well, 25 actually, he goes through and establishes the land rest, the seven-year cycle, and after seven of those, 49 years, the jubilee year. And then in 26, he goes on and says he'll give seven times punishment. That's very interesting. If time is a year uh, in Scripture. Uh, time, times, and half a times, three and a half years in Revelation and Daniel. But seven times punishment, but it is interesting that uh, he mentions that right after he establishes the seven-year cycles and the Jubilee cycle of seven times seven equals 49 plus the Jubilee is 50. And is it possible that when he talks about these cursings that will begin to come if we don't obey, that they might be spaced out every seven years and end with the Jubilee cycle? That's what Khan basically is presenting. Now, he points out <coughs> that economic troubles and crashes in this country have been happening on a regular basis every seven years. And he begins in 1973 when there was an economic dip and a crash. Uh, 1980, I won't go back and try to recite all the details of those, but it's, it's true. 1987, 2001, uh, now we're getting to stuff we can remember pretty well with the 911 towers and the stock market going down and all of those things. There's one day, when was that now? I, don't, I can't remember where it dropped uh, 777 points in a day. Seems pretty significant. Uh, then we had the big recession and the crash in 2008, where it looked like the whole world economy could go at that time, but they hastily digitized billions and billions of dollars and kind of staved it off. Now, seven years later, 2015, we are so much further in debt that it's incomparable. And the whole world is swimming in debt. Americans right now have their actual spending capacity of money going downward through inflation. And at the same time, we are increasing our credit card and other indebtedness very, very rapidly. So our spendable income is giving us less goods, and at the same time we're putting it on credit. How long can the American consumer do that? And now the sales are beginning to fall, and the retail industry is looking bad. 
the manufacturing is slowing down, so we have deflation in commodities while we're still having inflation in prices, as I described earlier. Now let's carry this thought on through. What time's it getting to be? I'm laying a lot of background here, and it looks like this may take two weeks. But if 2015 is the sixth uh, seven years, seven years times six is 42, from 1973 to 2015, then seven years later would be 2022. <clears throat> that would be the seventh of the series, as he set it up. Is he right? <clears throat> well, he could be. If there have been six of those periods equaling 42 years, and there's been a recession or a crash or financial trouble and trouble in the country, each one of those seven years, then 2015 is the sixth, and 2022 would be the seventh. 2022 would be the year of release, the seventh year of the seventh cycle. 49 years. Then the year of Jubilee would be the fall of 2023. Using those numbers, Christ should be here about the fall of, or, yeah, uh, the fall of 2022. Take his bride, go on a honeymoon, come back, and rule beginning in the fall of 2023. Now, I'm not trying to set the day and the hour. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's always been said we don't, doesn't say we don't know the year, but he does say that we're to watch what's going on and know that it's near. And when I see what's going on, I know that it is near. So, this is a possibility. Of course, he can always cut time short, as he says he will do, I don't think that means of the tribulation, or of the seven years times seven, maybe. He might cut the seven last plagues short. He might cut his honeymoon short, in other words, a little bit, lest no flesh be saved alive, because it is during those seven last plagues that mankind is in danger of not being left alive. So that appears to me the period of time that he might cut short would be that last year of the seven last plagues not anything else, because they all fit in so well with everything else. Again, if 1585 was the first colony, just as Jacob went into Mitzrayim, then 430 years later would be the time that that period ends. Now, in this case, we would be going into another captivity, whereas... Ancient Israel was coming out of a captivity. But they didn't do so well and went through 40 years of wandering before they were allowed in the promised land anyway. Another story. But still, the period of time from when we established or started to establish this nation until we have an iron yoke, which is coming down very rapidly upon us, it's been the last year or two or three or four that our freedoms have really eroded and we have been watched and watched and listened to and virtually everything you do now is recorded. People are ridiculous sometimes with the things they say on social media and Facebook and so on, revealing everything there is to reveal about them 
and the NSA and others are listening. So we are a watched society. 1984 and Orwell uh, are coming true right before our very eyes and our very own lives. Now, I'm running short of time here, so I don't think I'll go into uh, some more information and some conclusions regarding this, but at least we have here presented uh, a series of things that could very well be. Now, I'm not saying that they will affect the church necessarily in an adverse way uh, if we are faithful to God. These tetrads, these years that have been laid out, may indeed, for physical Israel, have a very deep meaning. Now understand that God has his own calendar, which begins in the springtime, in Adib, as he tells us to do. But in terms of this nation and the church of God being established in this nation and in the world, he has more frequently used January than he has April. In other words, he's used the first month of the year of the Gregorian calendar instead of his own calendar. I find that to be a very interesting thing. The Church of God began in January. The plain truth started in January. Uh, bad things have happened in January. The state of California trying to take over. <coughs> Herbert Armstrong died in January. You start going through a history of the church in the end time, January sticks out more than any other month and is very, very prominent. So, if he uses the Gregorian calendar January for many events, and I can see where he might to mask to the world what he is doing, because he wants only his people at this point to understand now, if he had them all rotating around Passover and Feast of Tabernacles and so on, it would be easier for anyone to see that, hey, maybe this has to do with the prophecies of the Bible. But when he does them in January, nobody ties that in. So, I see reasons he might do that, and I see reasons why he might be using the nation of so-called Israel or Judah in the Middle East as part of the bait as well. Because Satan is very deceptive. He has a false Judah. He has a false Jerusalem. Uh, and some of these prophecies and the way that the years line out could very well fit with that. And the whole world will look there for the answers rather than where the answers truly are going to be through God's church and his people. They will wake up at some point and realize where true Jerusalem is and where the temple has been built, and then they will come to take it over. And we'll get into more of that next week, and how these dates could fit together uh, with all that. So, I've laid the groundwork and raised the questions. Uh, let's see if there's time for a lot of the events that the Bible lists to happen between now and 2023. If it's true, that's good news, isn't it? That moves it up about four years. So I don't have a problem with that. But is there enough time to get it all in? We'll examine that, among other things, next time.